0: If you would, turn to Galatians 5, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or just listen. But we're just going to continue in our Wednesday night teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. And um, Galatians chapter 5 is where it's found. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. <clears throat> We've already covered love, joy, peace. Uh, we looked at joy last week. Today, we're, we're going to look at suffering. We're going to look at this fruit Of the Spirit, which is long suffering. And these nine fruit that are mentioned, um, though it's not exhaustive, it's a good start that Paul gives to the church in Galatia. And if you look at the first three love, joy, peace this has to do with our relationship with God. The second triad, that is long suffering, kindness, and goodness this has to do with our interactions and relationships with people, how we treat people, how we interact with people. And then the last triad, the last three fruit of the Spirit, which is faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This has to do with the principle, the principles that guide a, Christian, a Christian's character and conduct. And so these next three that we're going to look at for the next uh, two weeks, I think I'm going to combine kindness and goodness, but tonight we're just going to look at long-suffering. Uh, but these three have to do with our interactions with people, with one another, and how we treat others and our relationships with other people. Known as the Bishop of the South Pacific, John Selwine had at one time been recognized for his boxing skill. This is a guy who lived in the early 1900s. Touched by the Holy Spirit's convicting power, however, he later became an, out, an outstanding missionary. The Southport Methodist magazine reports that one day this saintly leader reluctantly gave a stern but loving rebuke to a man who regularly attended the local church. The disorderly one resented the advice and angrily struck brother Selwyn a violent blow in the face with his clenched fist. In return, the missionary merely folded his arms and humbly looked in the man's blazing eyes with His boxing skill and powerful ripping muscles, he could easily have knocked out his antagonist. Instead, he turned the other cheek and waited calmly to be hit a second time. This was too much for the assailant, who became greatly ashamed and fled into the jungle. And years afterward, the man accepted the Lord as his Savior and gave his testimony before the church. It was customary at that time for a believer to choose a Christian name for himself after he was saved. When asked if he wished to follow this practice, he replied with hesitation, Yes, call me John Selwyn. He is the one who taught me what Jesus Christ is really like. This brought real joy to the missionary's heart, for he saw that heeding the Savior's admonition to suffer wrongfully for his sake had resulted in making his witness effective. And this story, this illustration, this story wonderfully illustrates what long suffering is. This fruit of the Spirit, which is long suffering. Very simply stated, what is long suffering? It means to suffer long, it means to suffer long now the word so- long suffering is closely related to patience but it's not the same thing as patience patience has to do with a steadfastness or a cheerful endurance in the midst of trials it is the it is the attitude in which you have while you wait it is a steadfast character a steadfast faith in the midst of waiting it is a cheerful endurance in the midst of trials. That is really what patience is. But long-suffering, this Greek word for long-suffering is macrothamia. And it's a combination of two Greek words, the first one being macros, which means long or slow, and thumos, which means temper. So what this means is long-tempered, when you add these, when you put these two words together. And what this word long-suffering means, it means long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. Long-fused as as opposed to short-fused. Matthew Henry says it wonderfully in this one sentence as to what long-suffering is. It is patience to suspend anger or retaliation and a contentedness to bear injuries. It is one who is in the midst of injury And wrong being committed towards them, it is one who is slow to anger and is content to bear injury. Martin Luther says it wonderfully like this. He says, long-suffering is that quality which enables a person to bear adversity, injury, reproach, and makes them patient to wait for the improvement of those who have done him wrong. What long-suffering is, is that you are suffering long. You are being offended. You are being persecuted. You are being threatened. You are being harmed by somebody, and you allow yourself to suffer for the longer period of time with the intention and the hope that this person's behavior will be turned around and that they will see the nature and the character of God in your suffering. It's allowing yourself to be harmed and not retaliating in kind. It is being slow to anger. It is having a long temper, a long fuse. So it's in light of being wrongfully treated, you allow yourself to be wrongfully treated, not because you like to suffer, but because you know you allowing yourself to suffer it represents the person of Jesus Christ. It represents the nature of God. And it's with the intention that this person, just like we just read in that illustration of that minister, they would be ashamed of their behavior that you have not responded in kind and they would be convicted of your love, your mercy, and your willingness not to respond in kind and your, your slothfulness to anger. And God is the source of long-suffering because it is a part of his character. He's calling us to be long-suffering, to suffer long with the offenses of others directed our way because he himself is long-suffering. It's very important before you can try to implement this in your life and cultivate this fruit of the Spirit in your life, which comes from the Spirit of God, it's important for you to know that God, first and foremost, he is long-suffering. He has been long-suffering and he was long-suffering. He continues to be long-suffering with you, and he is long-suffering with the world. That is his nature, that is a part of his character, and that is the source and origin of our own long-suffering directed towards people around us. If you recall when Moses is on Mount Sinai, and after the first, the first um uh um stone tablets. He had thrown them down in anger over the golden calf. When he had come down from Mount Sinai, the first time he goes back up and he tells the Lord that he wants to see his glory. He wants to know who he is. And and God said, I'll I'll cause all my, my goodness to pass before you. And he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. And here's what Exodus chapter 34, verse five through seven. This is what the Lord declared about himself in regards to his nature and his character. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. Now he's going to, he's going to describe eight traits of the Lord God, eight traits, eight traits. And the Lord, he said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. These are eight character or um, traits of God that he declared concerning himself. And one of those traits... One of those characteristics was, I, the Lord God, I am long-suffering. I am slow to anger. I will suffer long from men. I will allow men to blaspheme and abuse my name with a particular intention in mind. I am long-suffering. I'm slow to wrath. I'm slow to anger. I'm slow to judgment. And this is what he declares concerning himself. Furthermore, the reason God is long-suffering is this, so that men might be saved. The reason that God is long-suffering is so that men might be saved. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And then Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. If you recall, we read this Sunday for Sunday's message. As some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us. Why is he long-suffering towards us? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In verse 14 says this, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So, Judgment is a reality. The anger of God against sin is a reality. The wrath of God poured out on depraved men who have rejected God and refused to obey him is a real reality. And in Romans chapter 2, he's saying, do you really think you who are prideful and, and hypocr- uh, full of hypocrisy, do you really think you'll be able to escape the judgment of almighty God? And then he says to this same person, but realize, don't you understand that God is trying to appeal even to rebellious men who hate him? He's trying to appeal to men with the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. Don't you know that the goodness of God leads people to repentance? And then further on in Second Peter, he says, listen, God's not going to be mocked. God has promised that there is judgment and there is an end to this world. And all things will burn with fervent heat and fire, and everything will come to an end. God's not slack concerning his promises, but he is long-suffering, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, God is slow to anger. That is, God suffers long because he desires men to be saved, first and foremost. And the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering are intended to bring men to salvation. It is through his love and his mercy and his grace and his long suffering that he intends to break up the hardness of men's hearts. That, that when they see his goodness exchanged for their rebellion and hatred of him, they are convicted by it. They're ashamed of their own sin. They see the holiness and righteousness of, righteousness of God. And they are compelled to humble themselves at their offer of God's free grace and mercy. That is God's intention. Yet be sure God will never be mocked. God will never be mocked that what a man sows, he will reap. Listen, all men will stand before God in judgment and everyone will receive rightly what they deserve. Every single person, every single person will deserve what they rightly should receive but know this especially for the individuals who want to talk about how how can a loving god be so judge judging how could he how could he condemn people to hell how could he condemn people at all if he's so loving but you have to understand you have to understand this that when god does bring eventual judgment to men okay by the time that he does eventually bring judgment to men, you've got to understand that he has first, and for a very long time, he has endured great rebellion, vehement hatred, hellish blaspheming, and absolute total rejection of those men. Before God has eventually judges one and pours his wrath on anybody, he has for a very long time suffered long. He has he has heard men's blasphemous cursing of God. He has seen their rebellious hearts. He has seen their disobedience. And he has borne long with it. He has suffered long. It's not like he's had a moment of time where he allows a person to make a mistake and then he brings immediate judgment. No, he has borne very long. He has suffered very long with the sin and depravity of men. Listen, if we could really understand the depth of our depravity, and really none of us can truly come to the understanding, the true understanding and the depth of, the, of depravity of who we are in our sin without God. None of us has have really truly gotten a full glimpse of the depravity of sin and fallen man. None of us have the capacity to, to truly attain that understanding. But if we could really understand the depth of our depravity and sin and come to an understanding of the awesomeness of God's holiness, we would be awestruck that God relents even one second from pouring out His wrath. If, you, if we could just have a glimpse of the depth of depravity that our sin is and simultaneously see the, the awesome holiness of God we would then in that moment be awestruck that God does not in that very moment, and in a matter of seconds, condemn us to hell. And yet he is long-suffering. He does not immediately condemn anyone to hell. Yet he, he is loving and long-suffering. He's slow to wrath. He waits. He woos he calls, he gives opportunity after opportunity. He uses other people to minister to other people to bring a free offer of grace and mercy and salvation. He gives every opportunity to every man to respond to his grace before he finally executes judgment. And the character trait by which he accomplishes that is long suffering. He suffers long. What most amazes me is that such a holy God would forgive such a sinner as me. I'm not amazed that a loving God would judge people. I'm amazed that a holy God would love me. That's what I'm amazed at. I'm amazed that, that in my sin, in my rebellion, in my rejection, that he did not cast me into the pit that very moment. And if it were not for his loving mercy and his compassion and his long suffering, him putting up with my sin and re- my rebelling against him, I would have never been saved. You would have never been saved. And no man will be saved except for the long suffering of God. In, in 2 Peter, he says, the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. He is giving people time. He's giving people time. He is taking reproach upon his name. He's willingly allowing it to occur just as Jesus did in his earthly ministry. He's allowing it to occur because he's giving people time to repent. And even in the midst of this global pandemic, I think many people are coming to their senses. They're realizing the reality of eternity. They're realizing their frailness. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that people will be, will come to their senses and realize I'm not promised anything and I need to be saved. I need to get right with God. And and, and, and I'm not saying that this virus is a judgment of God. I'll I'll never say that. I don't know what this is in regards to, to God's hand in this, but he will use this to make men come to their senses. And hopefully, hopefully through this experience, God's putting off judgment, putting off judgment and allowing us to see his free offer of grace and mercy, and hopefully somebody will respond because his goodness leads men to repentance. His goodness leads men to repentance. And you see this in the life of Noah. And you see this in in the, the story of Noah. Noah is first introduced to us in Genesis chapter five. At the very end of chapter five, it tells us who Noah was and that he was 500 years old at the end of chapter 5, 5 verse 32. And at the beginning of chapter 6 uh, of Genesis, God begins to lament that he had made men, and he and, and it says how wicked the Lord saw that men were, how depraved, how wicked, how all their intents and thoughts were uh, for nothing but evil, and they continuously wanted to, to take part in wickedness. And it was in that same chapter that he says, I'm going to, because of men's wickedness, I'm going to limit the amount of years that men can live to no more than 120 years. Men were living till 500, 600, 700 years old. What was it? Methuselah lived to 900 something years old. Up to that point, men were living for for hundreds of years and because of their great wickedness and evil he limited their years to no more than 120 in that chapter but he goes on to say in that chapter verse 5 he says then the Lord saw the wickedness of men that it was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually And it's there in that chapter that he pronounces judgment on mankind and directs Noah to build an ark now, nobody knows how long it took Noah to build the ark. Some say 120 years because of, uh, of chapter 6, verse 3, but that, that is not what, what the Bible is saying, that it took 120 years. Some say it was 100 years because when, when Mo, uh, Noah is introduced to us, he's 500 years old. When he gets on the ark in chapter 7, he's 600 years old. Uh, but we, we really do not know. If you read the text, you do not know how long it took Noah to build the ark. But given that he had three sons, given that they probably helped him and given the the time that it would take for them to grow to adulthood to help him, in my research, it probably took him 55 to 75 years to build the ark, if it was just him and his three boys. It was less than 100 years and it was probably between 55 to 75 years that it took Noah to build the ark. And so, if you think about this, at the beginning of chapter 6, he pronounces judgment. He pronounces judgment upon them. And we don't know how long it was until he asked Noah to build the ark. But let's say, let's just call it 100 years. Noah's introduced to us, when he's 500, he gets in the ark at 600. From the moment that God decides, I'm going to destroy mankind, it took him 100 years for the flood to come. It took him, uh, it took a 100 years for the execution of that judgment to come. Well, that 100 year period, or that 50 year period, or that 70 year period, however long it was, it was many decades, however long that was, God was still, even though he had pronounced judgment over mankind, he he was still being long suffering. He was still suffering long with the wickedness and the evil of men directed towards him. And the only reason that Noah was able to give him the ark, the Bible says, and Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Noah was saved by grace, and you and I are saved by grace here today. It's all the same. But it's extremely important to understand that even in light of this pronounced judgment, there was this period of time, this continued period of time, until that judgment was executed, that God was even still yet giving men time to repent and come to him, and yet only eight people were saved and I'll prove it with the New Testament in first Peter chapter three, for Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of noah he's saying. Jesus suffered for once for all for sins, the unjust, the just for the unjust. He was he preached the spirits in prison, who were formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. The divine long suffering waited, the judgment of God waited. And this is what long suffering the long suffering of God does. He's slow to wrath, he's slow to anger. This is the nature of God. Be sure judgment and wrath are coming. But because he wants to save men He is long-suffering, and he puts off judgment. He puts off judgment. He offers grace and mercy. He's constantly calling and wooing and reaching out to men that they may be saved from hell. And if anyone will respond, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. He saves them that moment by his grace. And he says that Jesus is also one is also a symbol of this long-suffering. You look at the life of Jesus. His life was marked by long-suffering in the way that he ministered. He suffered long with men. He was treated very badly throughout his ministry, yet he, ne- he was always slow to anger, slow to wrath. He never responded in kind. Never responded in kind. This is our example. Jesus... His own brothers doubted his divinity and origin. His hometown rejected him. The Jewish leaders continuously slandered him and hated him. At the end of it all, his disciples forsook him completely. And he was falsely accused, arrested, and crucified. Jesus suffered long. And the reason just Jesus suffered long in all these things is so that you would be saved. So that I would be saved. He's long-suffering that men may come to repentance, that people may be saved. And you see this same godly characteristic lived out in the life of Paul and all the other apostles. They suffered long for the cause of Christ. They took reproach upon themselves because they wanted to represent the person of Jesus Christ. Not so that their name would be lauded, but so that the name of Jesus would be glorified, and people would be drawn to him, and people would be saved. So let me get get now here to some personal application. Let's apply this to ourselves personally and how we ought to live this out. I love how Martin Luther he 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 beautifully says says in regards to long suffering, he says. When the devil finds that he cannot overcome certain persons by force, he tries to overcome them in the long run. He knows that we are weak and cannot stand anything long. Therefore, he repeats his temptation time and time again until he succeeds. To withstand his continued assaults, we must be long-suffering and patiently wait for the devil to get tired of his game. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So if persecution and hardship is coming from men, it's a spiritual battle. We don't we do not we're not battling against flesh and blood. If you are a student of history and you're familiar with World War II, there was a period of time in World War II between September 1940 and May 1941 that is called the blitz. And Hitler and his Luftwaffe um uh air force It was a period of time, an eight-month period of time, where they relentlessly bombarded the capital of Britain, that is London, for for 57 days straight in one stretch of period of time. They bombarded London with bombs from above. It lasted for eight months, and at the longest period of time, for 57 days straight, they bombed London over and over again. And over a series of eight months in all, 18,000 tons of high explosives had been dropped on England during eight months of the Blitz. And this period of time was called the Blitz because there were so many bombs coming down on London. A terrible time, terrible time. And Hitler's intention was to break the morale of the British people so that they would pressure Churchill into negotiating. However, the bombing had the opposite effect, bringing the English people together to face a common enemy. It was the intention of Hitler to continuously, for a long period of time and continued period of time, to bomb them, bomb them, rain down bombs as hard as they could and completely break their will and the morale. But it had an opposite effect, and the English people came together Encouraged by Churchill's frequent public appearances and radio speeches, the people became determined to hold out indefinitely against the Nazi onslaught. Business as usual could be seen everywhere, written in chalk on boarded up shop windows. And this is the same tenacity and the same spirit and mind and attitude that you and I have to have. We may be bombarded Continuously, we may have to suffer long and be be attacked from every which way, but God's grace is sufficient. This long-suffering is not a long-suffering of this world. God gives you the supernatural ability to suffer long in the midst of that trial, that tribulation, that persecution, that hardship. When someone is doing you wrong, God gives you the grace to uphold it and not to crumble and crash and, and, and become depressed under it, he gives you the power to withstand in his power. 1 Corinthians 13 4 says, Love suffers long. Love suffers long. Us experiencing the love of God, the love of God manifested in our lives and through our lives, love suffers long. This is the love of God. This is the long suffering of God from the Spirit of God that allows you to supernaturally bear the brunt of. This persecution or hardship. And so here is why we must be long suffering. Number one, because God has been long suffering with us. If every single one of us, and even the sinner, even the sinner right now is a beneficiary of God's long suffering because they have not experienced his judgment yet. Any person who is on this earth and still breathing and they're a sinner. They are a beneficiary. This very moment, they're a beneficiary of God's long-suffering. And because of long-suffering, we as Christians have come to a saving knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. And because God has exhibited long-suffering towards us, we ought to do the same with the people that we interact with on this earth. Adam Clark says this, we should bear with the frailties and provocations of others, From the consideration that God has borne long with ours. And that if he had not, we should have been speedily consumed. And so when we lament the fact that we have to suffer long and be long-suffering with people who are provoking us, those who are trying to injure us, don't lament the fact because God himself was long-suffering towards you. And if it weren't for his long-suffering, you would have been speedily consumed. The fact that you have been a beneficiary of God's long-suffering, <clears throat> it encourages and motivates and empowers you to be long-suffering to those around you. We ought to walk like He walked. <clears throat> the Apostle John said in 1 John, we ought to exhibit the nature and character of Jesus Christ the same way that He lived, the same way that He ministered. And so because God has been long-suffering with us, we ought to be long-suffering with the frailties and the provocation and the injuries and the vehement, vehement hatred that is cast our way from men. And the reason <clears throat> and the reason we should be long-suffering, secondly, is the same reason God is long-suffering, so that people might be saved. God wants to use your life and the manifestation of this fruit of long suffering, He wants to use it in your life so that men might be saved. Listen, we cannot respond in kind as Christians. When hatred and threats are hurled our way, we must respond with blessing, with prayer, with love. We must respond with long-suffering. We must suffer long when we are threatened in such hateful manners. We endure injury for the sake of Christ and the hope that men might be saved the way that you respond to persecution the way that you respond to injury the way that you respond to to a to to a uh, slap on one side of your face you will either respond in kind or you will either turn the other cheek you will you will either go the extra mile or you will not you you will either respond with the spirit of christ which which will indicate to these individuals that you're a citizen of heaven and there's some, something different in your life and you're communicating the gospel through you allowing yourself to manifest the spirit of long suffering with the hope that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified and that men would be saved through your life. Through your life. God intends to use your life to save men and women. First Peter 3:13, and who is he who will harm you? If you become followers of what is good, if you're a follower of Christ and you're doing what is good, what harm can come to you for doing good? You have nothing to worry about. He says, but even if you, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed that they would be convicted and ashamed that they're hurling threats and accusations against you, but you're not responding in kind. You're not responding with the same hatred and cursing for it is better if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus died, the just for the unjust, that we might be saved, we might be sanctified, we might be come to saving knowledge in Christ Jesus. And by you walking in the same long-suffering of Jesus, it's intended by God through your life to lead men to repentance when they are ashamed and they're convicted that you do not respond in kind, but you suffer long with their behavior, and hopefully men would be saved through the gospel being lived out through your life. And lastly, we must be long-suffering so that Christians and the church might be improved, and edified. We, we may even have to be long suffering with our fellow Christians and the church. And as a matter of fact, that's, what's going to take for us to get along. That's what's going to take for there to be unity. That's what it's going to take for us to grow and to mature for us to, to advance the kingdom of God. We have to be long suffering, not with just the sinner, but with even with each other. Because I'm going to offend you and you're going to to offend me. Maybe not on purpose, but in some way or manner, we're going to have to exhibit long-suffering towards one another. We're going to have to suffer long with one another. Colossians 3 and 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. He's talking Christian to Christian. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And so you can can encourage and motivate and even convict the life of another Christian if you're mistreated by another Christian or if you're mistreated by, by an aspect of the church. If you will exhibit long suffering towards one another, it will be something that will allow for there to be a forbearance and a forgiving with one another. And it will allow others to grow and to mature and to realize the error of their ways. So that you can exhibit this patience and this long suffering and that you're slow to anger, you're slow to wrath, but you will, also, you will offer grace and mercy rather than responding in kind. Sometimes we're called to be a punching bag and a doormat. Sometimes and oftentimes I'll say we're called to be a punching bag and to be a doormat. But by God's grace, you can take that. It doesn't mean that we allow ourselves or our families to be taken advantage of to a degree that brings us uh, bodily harm or or harm to us in a serious manner. But we are called to endure suffering, to endure persecution, to endure injury. We're called to suffer long so that the goodness of God would bring men to repentance I have been a beneficiary of God's long suffering and I want people to see that manifested through my life and offered to people who need it as well. I close with this. About 10 years ago, I read a book written by a man whose name is Bruce Olson and it's a book called Bruchko. And in the early 1960s at the age of 19, Bruce Olson, he was saved and he felt a call to missionary work, and all by himself, with no help, no aid, no money, no backing by any other missionary group, he made his way to Colombia, and he felt a call to minister to the indigenous people in Colombia and Venezuela. And eventually, he he, realized, he identified that he was called to a tribe of indigenous people who were called the Motolone Indians, and in, 19, in the early 1960s, he made his way to Colombia, to the border of Colombia and Venezuela. It's an amazing book. The things that he encountered, even the persecution he encountered from fellow Christians who rejected him and didn't want to help him because he, he didn't have association with other missionary groups. He was really just this ignorant kid who had a love for God and a, and a desire to see people saved, to, see, to, to reach unreached groups. And he went there all by himself except by the leadership of God. And he felt a call to these these barbarians, to to these uncivilized Indians um, that nobody really had 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 any peaceful contact with. Um, Olson's first contact with local missionaries was disheartening. The missionaries looked at Olson as an outsider refused to include him in mission work because he had come without sponsorship. Instead of doing mission work from the beginning, Olson first attended a university in Venezuela and began learning about the South American Indian tribes. Months later, Olson set off into the jungle looking for the Motolone Indian tribe. He first came across the Yuko Indians. And, and when you read the account of his, his interaction with these Indians, he thought they were the Motolones. And it, and it says the chief took him prisoner knocked him out, took him prisoner, threw him in a hut, and he was put into this thatch hut. And they began to shoot arrows through the hut, which would come through the the thatching and hit him. Now, they weren't coming in with enough force to penetrate his skin, but would only cause extreme bruising and pain. And he sat there, tied up to a post in the middle of this hut, to these people he had just met, experiencing this tremendous pain of these arrows coming from every which way and penetrating the hut and coming into contact with his body. And he he writes this. In that moment, he had come in contact with this first Indian tribe. He didn't know where he was, how he got there. He's completely clueless. they take him prisoner. They start persecuting him. He doesn't know their language. They don't know him. And he says that, An arrow blinded him with pain. As the arrows continued to fly, the scene became unreal. It seemed like the kind of thing that happened only in movies. At the moment of my greatest terror, it occurred to me that I needed to pray. God, I said, how long is this going to go on? Do I have to go through this? I could imagine a future filled with torture, inability to communicate, and death. Then a strange thing happened. It was as though I were struck down. I seemed to see Jesus on the cross. I started to cry. Oh, Jesus, I said, astonished and fearful. That's what you faced. We must have seemed filthy to you like these Indians seem to me. Oh, how senseless our hate must have been. He goes on to say, I lay quietly. God, I will give you what I can. I give you my strength, my life. I'll put up with anything. Any trouble, I'll even die if you will let me communicate about your son to the Motolone Indians. And through this experience, he says, he goes on to encounter the Motolone Indians. His initial encounter with the Motolone Indians was frightening. He was pierced by an Indian arrow and later almost executed by the Motolone chief Olson endured dysentery, hepatitis, and a chronic problem with parasites during this first few months in the jungle. However, none of these trials convinced him to turn back. Instead, they emboldened him to continue his work and to take joy in this time of suffering for the Lord's work. And after many years and time spent with them, he learned her language, he loved them, he bore with them, he suffered long with them, he gained their trust and their respect, and eventually he saw convert after convert of, of what was once these barbarian people who nobody had communication with, but he suffered long, and he suffered long, and he loved them, and he loved them, and he showed them the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know today the population of the Motalone people in the region of Colombia and Venezuela, which amounts to about 5,400 people, statistics tell us that 70% of the motor loan people are Christians today. Due to a missionary called Bruce Olson. Because he suffered long. He exhibited the nature of Jesus Christ. And we are called to do the same. I want you to know here today, God is not easily angered by your sin and your stubbornness. God is not easily irritated as men are. Is there judgment for sin? Is he uh, displeased with sin? Absolutely. But he is slow to wrath and anger. When you sin, you can come to a father who will not beat you over the head and cast you out into darkness. If you're a child of God, if we have sin, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from, of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it says in 1 John. If you would come to him, he's long-suffering. He's not easily angered. He has a, sh- a very, very long fuse. He's very long-tempered. He is not full of vindictiveness and retaliation. There is judgment for sin, but he puts it off. He puts it off. He puts it off so that men might be saved. And even as children of God, I want you to know that's the father you serve. That is your father. And so you can come to him in humility and receive compassion, receive forgiveness, receive wisdom, receive encouragement, receive grace when you need it. That's the kind of God you serve. And secondly, I close with this. And we as Christians, we must do the same towards others. We must exhibit the nature of God. We must be long-suffering with our spouses, with our children, with our bosses, with our church members, with our government. We must be long-suffering with a person who who is irritated at the grocery store and, and there's a lot of short fuses out there, but let your fuse be very long. May you suffer long not because you want to suffer, but because you want to represent the person of Jesus Christ and you want to see people saved. God can help you to do this. It's only by his spirit. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's a manifestation of his love experienced in your life. Love suffers long. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that you are long suffering towards me. God, I don't deserve your mercy and your compassion, and your grace. I deserve immediate judgment. Every single one of us deserves immediate judgment. And truly, every person that finds their self in hell, they've received what they rightly deserve. You, will do, you are the righteous judge of the earth, and you will do right. You will always do right. But oh God, you are slow to wrath. You're slow to anger because of your long suffering. God, help us, Lord, not to take for granted your long suffering. Help us to respond to your free offer of grace. And I thank you that as Christians, we have responded to that. I pray God to allow us to manifest this and to cultivate this in our lives and for us to show this to a world around us that needs to see something that is different, that we do not respond in kind, that we turn the other cheek and that for the name of Jesus Christ, for the cause of the gospel and so that men might be saved, we would suffer a little with you, Jesus so that people would see the goodness of God and that there is grace and there is mercy and they do not have to reap the consequences of their sin and reap the wrath that comes down from you. We thank you, God, for your long-suffering, your mercy, for your love. You're not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let us not forget that is the God that we serve. Bless your people Bless Grace River Chapel, O God. Let there be a communion and a a fellowship with you, Lord. We are only family and we only have a church because we have something in common. It's a faith in you. You are the first and foremost love of our lives. Let that love intensify in this period of time. Help us to seek you. Help us to, 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 to run after you with all our hearts, to take advantage of this time, to redeem this time to open the word, to spend time with you, God, so that when we come back, Lord, we'll be all the more thankful that we can gather as a church and we will rejoice over faith in you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.